It's good to be back with you this week after the, uh, the mission trip. We are sure glad to be back home. And I want to take a minute to thank uh, Lee White for, uh, for jumping in last week and uh, preaching for me in, uh, in my absence. I had Chris lined up, Chris Conley, and of course was under the weather. And so uh, we'll look forward to, to having you again, uh, uh, Lord willing, here in, in the uh, near future. And I uh, just want to, again, just tell Lee how much I appreciate him for jumping in last minute. I, I heard he did a good job. What do you guys think? Did well? The first service clapped a little more enthusiastically. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe the first service did go better than the second. I, <laughs> Well, we had a great trip. Uh, I was with the uh, the team that went to Romania, and what a joy it was to partner with Pastor Daniel Karagi there in uh, northern Romania, and through his leadership and the partnership with his church, to be able to go into these three villages that uh, that do not have a gospel witness, and to see uh, through the through the the uh, vision clinic and through kids ministry and evangelistic services, just see the Lord at work and see people come to faith in Christ. And we look forward to seeing what will continue to happen as the church there uh, continues the outreach into those areas. And so uh, again, it was just such a treat and a delight to be with the uh, with the team that went and uh, to Russ. If you been on a mission trip with Russ, you know this guy has the details all under control. Uh, he's a great job uh, leading a mission team, and so I uh, appreciate Russ and, and for uh, the entire group that went. I ended up going a day early and made a stop through Ireland to visit the Montgomery's, Timothy and Julianne, and to meet the staff at Operation Mobilization and to look at some future opportunities that we might have as a church to partner with them. And so, uh, so that was a blessing as well. Um, I, I was in Ireland at a a very unique time. Uh, on uh, a week ago Friday, they had a vote, a nationwide vote, on whether they would legalize same-sex marriage, and the vote passed. Um, I was preaching at a church on Thursday evening, the night before the vote, and uh, they uh, uh, were, of course, praying about this matter. They'd been very much involved with, with uh, trying to uh, preserve the definition of marriage. Of course, it's a Catholic country, and so uh, they were hoping that that, that, would, that would help. Um, one, one of the things that the, uh, that the pastor told me, this is Timothy's father, who's the pastor of, uh, of the Baptist Church in Athlone, Ireland. He said that, uh, that the campaign for uh, the yes vote on, on, uh, on uh, uh, approving same-sex marriage had a lot of funds come in from foreign don- donations and that they estimate $25 million came into the campaign from America. Uh, to help promote the idea of same-sex marriage. And you think about that. Now, it's not necessarily government money, but just money from the states, uh, different industries or entities that are interested in that, that with our Supreme Court being at a point where it's weighing this very thing, for Ireland to make that historic vote puts added pressure on our court to do what, right? To be with the times, to be relevant, to follow the example of other forward-thinking nations, I suppose. And so, so that was happening when I was there. And when I got to Romania... I was also talking to Pastor Daniel about this on Sunday after church, and he said that the Romanian uh, judge, he didn't mention it being a Supreme Court, but more of a, of a high judge, had just issued a statement and a ruling that marriage in Romania would main, be maintained as between a husband and a wife. And he, and, he, and he said that because that is what is outlined for us in the Word of God. And so you saw both 
both uh, countries being faced with that decision. You see one being an Orthodox country, one being a Catholic country, and you see the, the aftermath that is happening in, uh, in, in both of those settings. So uh, that, I think, is a segue into what we're talking about this morning, because uh, uh, as we look at our nation, we see that we, too, are a culture that is in crisis. It seems like every day there's another, there's another issue to, to speak about. There's another, uh, there's another item, whether it's, whether it's uh, a marriage, same-sex marriage, whether it's uh, uh, gender identity, which is one that's, that's coming to the forefront, or even the idea of sanctity of human life, uh, the issue of abortion that, that has uh, been uh, on the radar of our, of our uh, country now for 40 years. Since, uh, uh, since the decision of Roe v. Wade in 1973. And so it's been a very soul-searching debate. And, and whether you think about the current issues that, that, are, that are relatively new to, to the scene or the ones such as abortion that have been around now for, for a number of years, we as a church, we must, have, uh, we must have a voice in this. We must be engaged in what is taking place. We shouldn't be silent. We shouldn't be on the sidelines. We should have an understanding. And uh, that is because these are, are issues that, that impact us at the very fabric of our nation. I mean, we're talking about the lives of children. We're talking about birth and marriage. We're talking about, about the structure of a family. I mean, it doesn't get more to the core than these items. And so uh, let's not underestimate that, uh, that these issues do impact us. They impact uh, our children. They'll impact the next generation. They will impact... Our church, our community, uh, very far-reaching. And so for us today, I think it's, it's important for us to give consideration uh, to, uh, to these issues. I, I touched on this a couple of weeks ago as I gave a message on Graduate uh, Recognition Sunday. And I'd like to pick back up and for us to continue thinking along the theme of, of how do we as, as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, believers in the Bible, how do we respond what, what do we find from Scripture that would, that would give us some, some, uh, some direction on how to respond in a day like today? Because it is a day that is in, in tremendous transition. A lot of, 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 uh, of uh, unrest uh, within our culture. And for the Christian community to be that voice of compassion, but also the voice of truth, a voice of grace. And so uh, uh, this morning... Um, uh, there are uh, there, there's quite a bit that, that's that's going to be uh, taking place. But uh, first of all, I want to uh, uh, to mention that we have a ministry represented uh, today called Thrive. Uh, how many of you all saw a vehicle parked in the visitor parking and guessed it probably was not a visitor this morning? Did you did you all see the uh, the RV? Okay, red or uh, orange and green that said Thrive on the side. That is a mobile unit used by a ministry called Thrive. That, uh, that are a, they are a resource for those who are experiencing unplanned pregnancy. And their president, Bridget Van Means, is here, uh, seated next to Karen on the second row. You'll be hearing from her in just a few minutes, and some of her staff are here as well. Uh, Steve was the one, is the one that's out in the, uh, in the mobile unit, whom I hope you've met or you will meet today as you get to tour, uh, what that mobile unit is all about. But also there are some others that are, is it Stephanie? Is that right? Elizabeth, Elizabeth, that's uh, that's here at the uh, at the information table as well, and so I hope that you'll you'll get to uh, to see some of what they are doing right here in our own community. And of course, in a few minutes, Bridget's going to come and, and give testimony and, and share about about Thrive. Uh, I've also got out there a paper. 
that's uh, a newspaper uh, from January. It's the Missouri Baptist Convention's newspaper called The Pathway. And it has an article in there that talks about uh, how Southern Baptists have dealt with the pro-life issue over the last 40 years and how one of the pioneers is a man named Larry Lewis, who's from St. Louis. And so I thought you might find that article interesting. Uh, I don't have a lot of copies of the paper available, but, but there's a couple stacks that are still out there, and I hope that you'll pick one up. You'll see it at the bottom of the first page, and it continues on the second. And that may be helpful if you're uh, considering the, uh, the clarity and conviction that Southern Baptists have on the, uh, on the issue. Uh, for me personally, the pro-life ministry is something that has been very near to my heart uh, for quite some time, even going back into... Uh, uh, to, uh, uh, days in which I was a child. It was something that I was aware of and I was concerned about and I was interested in. Uh, as a pastor in Kansas City, I was involved with a ministry called Rachel House. And uh, it was, uh, again, one that was designed to come alongside and assist those dealing with an unplanned pregnancy to be a help, a compassionate resource. And so uh, I was very uh, supportive and, and uh, Rachel House was a ministry that at one time our, our church in Kansas City provided more volunteers than any other church. And I, I say that not only for the purpose of saying that it was something that was very important to us. And a lot of people were, were volunteering and assisting the effort. Uh, we supported them uh, through our mission offering because we felt like it was a, a reflection of local missions in action, uh, gospel-saturated ministry that was happening right there uh, in our own community. And uh, in coming to St. Louis, I, you know, I was curious, what, what are the, the ministries that are here? And I've become acquainted with Thrive. And uh, I've just been so excited about what I've seen them doing. Uh, is they provide education and resources uh, to those dealing with an unplanned pregnancy. They talk about, about healthy choices. They do education in the schools. Uh, they give assistance to, uh, to, uh, uh, to young moms. Uh, but even as you'll hear, they have, they have a very unique method of being able to provide sonograms from a mobile unit. And as you know, when sonograms are shown to those dealing with an unplanned pregnancy, it's, it's very helpful for them as they decide what to do and what their next steps will be. And so you'll be hearing more about that but I just want to say that, that that is part of what our focus is for today. But I want you to know that you're in a place this morning that is safe. We're emphasizing compassion. We're emphasizing grace. That this is a day where we want to have clarity and we want to have conviction because these are, these are, are issues that matter and they matter a lot. But we also want to be known as people who are filled with compassion and grace and mercy because we've received grace, haven't we? few of us have. We've received grace, haven't we? Yes, amen, we have. We're going to be talking about grace today, so I hope that's something that will resonate with you. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're going to be in a, into a sensitive subject, but I, but I hope you'll hear my heart and you'll see that as we look to the Lord this morning, that it will be something that will, I believe, give us some great direction as we look not only at the sanctity of life issue or the marriage issue, but this is, this is something that, that, that impacts other issues as well, such as marriage and family and, 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 and doing life with one another, because grace and truth must be present. And, uh, and we're going to look in a very practical way this morning about that. Um, this is a ministry that, that, uh, that I think handles a, a truth and grace from a very uh, balanced approach, and, uh, and I hope that this morning you will see that as we, as we continue. The heart of my message today is a call for us to stand for truth while ministering in grace. For us to see that it doesn't have to be one way or the other, that it, it doesn't have to be all about the truth of a, of a matter or all about the grace in a matter, but that there is a combination of grace and truth that follows the model 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. And just to give you the context, this is a chapter that is speaking of the incarnation of of Jesus, the Word made flesh coming to be among us. And it gives descriptions about who He is, His character. And then if you continue to follow through the gospel message, uh, you will see how His character impacts the way that He ministers to people on earth. And so I think that it will be a good example for us to, to consider this morning as we, uh, as we take a look at this. John chapter 1, let's read verses 14 through 17. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, speaking of John the Baptist, and cried out, This was He of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this morning I want us to see, first of all, the idea that we can have a balance of grace and truth. Because we serve a Lord who was full of both grace and truth. This is part of the description that we have of Him. Now, by nature, I would argue that that most of us probably tend to fall harder towards grace or towards truth. If you could imagine a pendulum where one side would be grace and one side would be truth, you probably see within yourself that there are probably times that you fall more towards one than the other may depend on the issue, may depend on, on the arena or who it is that, you're, that you, are, you are dealing with. But would you agree that there are times that you, 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 you probably feel that you're being pulled more towards one or the other, towards grace or towards truth? This morning I want us to see that, that there is room for both and that it doesn't have to be either or. And that it may even be an encouragement for us to see that, that if we are strong on one of these, that, 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 that it, we can be... We can, have, uh, we can have a focus to, to bring about harmony and balance between the grace and the truth. Uh, and again, impacting the way that we deal with cultural issues, but also uh, uh, it goes beyond that. There's a book that I'm going to quote from about three or four times this morning, and the author's name is Randy Alcorn. And the book that, that he wrote is called The Grace and Truth Paradox. Excellent resource if you're uh, thinking through this, this idea of struggling, of standing for truth and yet also uh, exhibiting grace and how to do that in a balanced way. Uh, this, this would be a book I would recommend. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give a few quotes. And the first one is this. He says, Truth-oriented <clears throat> Christians love studying Scripture and theology, but sometimes they're quick to judge and slow to forgive. They're strong on truth, Weak on grace. Now again, think about that pendulum, and you have the pendulum further on which side? Which side for this one? Truth. Okay, a few of you all are listening this morning. All right, good. Now, let's listen to the next one. Grace-oriented Christians love forgiveness and freedom, but sometimes they neglect Bible study and see moral standards as legalism. They're strong on grace, weak on truth. So that would have the pendulum on which side? Grace. He goes on to say countless mistakes... In marriage, parenting, ministry, and other relationships are failures to balance grace and truth. Sometimes we neglect both. Often we choose one 
over the other. Now, in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is filled with grace, but he's also filled with truth. And he's the one whom, whom has, he, he has saved us and he fills us and he guides us and, and helps us as we learn to respond to the issues of our day. We look to him as an example, but also as the one who supplies what is needed. As it says there at the, at the end of our, of, our, of our reading, he's the source. He's the supply of grace and truth. Let's define the words very briefly. The first one is grace. Uh, in the Greek, it's charis, and it's still a word that is, that is used in, in, mod, in the modern Greek language. It's charis, and you see it in, in, uh, as the root word for many different words, even some names, people's names in the, in the Greek language. Uh, grace is undeserved acceptance. It's unmerited salvation. It's the idea that you've been given something that you did not earn or deserve. It was given to you because of grace. And that is, of course, the essence of our gospel message, that, that we have received salvation because of God's grace, that He gave us something that we did not earn and we did not deserve. We, uh, 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 we see this as a, as a critical component of the gospel message. Here's how uh, one person explained it. He said, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair's day uh, pay for his time, we call that a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, we would call that a prize. When a person receives recognition for long service or high achievements, we call that an award. But when a person is not capable of earning the wage or winning the prize and deserving no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor. That is what we mean when we talk about grace. That's grace. Now let's think about truth. Truth also coming out of the Greek language here, aletheia, is the, uh, is the Greek word. It's still uh, a word that's used even in the modern Greek vernacular. In fact, if you're, if you're talking to someone and, and you make a statement that, that they have a hard time believing, they might use that word as a question and say, aletheia? Like, really? Is that true? Are you telling the truth? Uh, and so it's still a word that's being used today, but from a biblical sense, it's speaking about something that is factually right. It is the truth. And in the case of God's word, it is the standard of what is truth. It is the truth uh, that is basic for other truth. Uh, sometimes you could, you could think of truth being compared to the guardrails alongside a winding road, that you have truth on both sides that's there to protect, that's there to help guide. Um, truth is, is something that, that, uh, that Jesus mentioned when he prayed for the disciples as well as the early church. When he said in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the, tr- in, the, in the truth, your word is truth. So this is something very important to Christ that we as believers know the truth. He went on to say, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He would say in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except except through me, except by me. And so these are, these are words of the truth. And, and I will say that, that in our day, we struggle with things like truth. Because we think that, that, that truth is something that's up for grabs. You define what is true for you, I'll define what is true for me, right? And the, the idea is that you just have to be sincere about it. Right? That's the, that's the nature of, of moral relativism. And that's something that we've, we've had in our culture now for, for quite some time. 
And it's still continuing to breed all kinds of ideas and thoughts about what is right and what is wrong. And in fact, it becomes very difficult for right and wrong to be defined unless you have something that is absolute truth. And we're going to continue to see that unfold, particularly if the same-sex marriage uh, debate uh, decision goes in favor of same-sex marriage. Because then, where do you stop? You see, you've lost that, you've lost that bellwether. You've lost that truth uh, that, 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 uh, that contains the definition of right and wrong. But yet we live in a society that, that, that really fights against that. Now, it's illogical. Because as Bible-believing Christians, we would say, you know, the truth is the standard. But, but, but others wouldn't see it that way. If you think about it from a scientific perspective, there, there is absolute truth that can't be argued with. We could do it this way. We could go up onto the roof. In fact, we could go on this. This is the tallest. We have several roofs on our building, right? But this is the tallest one, I believe. We could all go up there. And uh, we could stand at the... I didn't say it would be easy to get up there. And I'm not recommending that we get up there, Okay. Students, listen to me. I'm not saying we need to do it. Do this. This is just, just an idea that if we were to do it, um, and we could talk about a truth such as the law of gravity, right? And we could even ask, how many people sincerely believe in the law of gravity? And we could even have a referendum on whether we wanted to vote whether the law of gravity existed, right? But it doesn't matter which way you vote on that vote on whether or not you believe in the law of gravity, because as soon as you put one step, or actually two steps, right, two feet over the side, what's going to happen? Every person is going to fall every time. Well, you may not do it more than once, I suppose, but, but if you think about it, that's, that's what truth is. Truth is, is the idea that it is, it, is, it is once for all, it is right, it is the standard of what is right and wrong. And there you have that example. Well, for us, we see that God is the God of truth. Psalm 31.5 speaks of this. Now, within our gospel message, we depend on both grace and truth. We are the recipients of both grace and truth. The good news of salvation makes sense against the backdrop of the bad news that we have sinned and we need to be forgiven. And so it, it, it's the truth of sin and the grace of forgiveness that, that work together. So it's not one or the other. It's not an embrace of grace and a disposal of the truth. You have to have both of them to be able to see the gospel correctly. Here's what Randy Alcorn said. He said, grace isn't about God lowering his standards. It's about God fulfilling those standards through the substitutionary suffering of the standard setter, who, of course, is Jesus. He said Christ went to the cross because he would not ignore the truths of his holiness and our sin. Grace never ignores or violates truth. Grace gave what truth demanded, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so a response of grace and truth is rooted in our gospel message as well as in the character and nature of our Savior Jesus Christ. He says if we minimize grace, the world sees no hope for salvation. If we minimize truth, the world sees no need for salvation. To show the world Jesus, we must offer unabridged grace and truth, emphasizing both apologizing for neither. So we come to this, this idea 
that we want to be filled with both grace and truth. And we have for us a sufficient supply that's given because of Jesus being the the conduit, the source of that. In fact, one of my favorite phrases is found in verse 16 of John chapter 1. I've probably quoted it before. If not, I'm sure I'll quote it again because I, I love the imagery of verse 16. Let's look at it together. It says, from his fullness, thinking about supply, he's full, right? He's full of the grace and truth. We have all received grace upon grace. And it, it's been described as this phrase, grace upon grace, as being like the picture of a, of a beach in which a wave comes crashing on the beach. And then right behind that, another wave comes crashing. And then another, and another, and another. And yes, when we were first saved... And we placed our, our faith in Jesus Christ. We did receive grace. But was that all the grace we would ever receive? Was that the only time that we would be afforded grace? Of course not. Day by day, God's grace. Just like that wave. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's the kind of Savior that we follow. He is full of grace full of mercy, full of compassion. And we have been recipients of that grace. And I believe that since we have received it, we are in a position to do what? To give grace. Who in the world can extend God's grace other than those who have received God's grace? And so, yes, I want us to be a church marked by conviction, marked by a commitment to Scripture and to truth to standards, to commitment of right and wrong and these things. But may we also be a body marked by compassion, marked by the idea of grace being given over and over and over. He is, of course, our supply. As we wrap up this morning and we think about John chapter 1, we see that the Lord is full of the grace and the truth. Again, they are defining points of his identity, but they also are things that we continue to see as he ministers throughout his earthly life. The grace of God has come to us at the point of conversion, but it's also the fuel for, for our worship this morning as we sing praise to him. It's, the, it's, it's, it's present as we grow and as we mature in our Christian faith and as well as our service. May we be people who stand for truth. Never wavering, even in a culture that increasingly aims to blur the lines between right and wrong. And as I think about what's happening within our culture right now, I realize that there is a generation, a young generation among us that, that they, they have got who knows what waiting for them, right? If right now in 2015 we're, we're going through the issues of, of sanctity of life or we're going through the issues of, of uh, definition of marriage or even the identity of, of, of one's gender, I mean, think of where these things go and how it impacts families and marriages, how it impacts communities and schools and churches. This is an important matter. All of these are. And for us to be able to have within us the capacity To be filled with grace and truth, I think, is so important for the day and age in which we live. Again, may we be people who stand for truth. May we never shy away from truth. 
whether it's on any of these issues or even the exclusivity of the gospel, may we be found as people of conviction. I know that's not always popular to have conviction and to to be able to say, no, these are the standards. This is the truth. This is right. This is wrong. That's not always the popular message, but may we be the truth bearers of our generation and of our community. May God grant us courage and boldness to us and to the next generation that we are seeing grow up in our midst. May we never shy away. Yet, may we also be people who give out grace upon grace to all those around us. Because we know just as Christ had compassion as He looked over the multitudes, that we as well should have compassion as we see those around us who have been ravaged by the effects and results of of sin. And so we come with, with compassion and assistance and mercy and love. May God grant us a tender heart to reach the hurting. May God give us compassion and a willingness to be His conduit of grace and mercy to those who are around us. May we not be sidelined, but may we be actively engaged in the lives of those who are around us, even those who are impacted and affected directly by these issues. Well, I hope this morning that the idea of grace and truth has been helpful, that it will be encouraging as you think about how to respond. I'm sure you've had workplace conversations or classroom conversations or uh, thoughts shared within your home or, or with friends about the issues that are, that are impacting our day. And I hope that the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ will influence those conversations as well as our actions in being involved in the lives of those who need help. Well, at this time, I think it would be a good segue for us to, uh, to introduce uh, Bridget Van Means. I'm going to ask Bridget, if she would, to please come. I have uh, enjoyed getting to know her and some of the other staff members that thrive. And I, I want us as a church to hear about what they are doing in our community, how they are responding to this particular need. And so Bridget's going to share. She's going to give a, a presentation. And then afterwards, we'll have a little Q&A uh, time to, to, to share even, uh, even more details. But let's, uh, let's give an Ellisville welcome to Bridget Van Means. How is everybody today? Thank you for coming out. We sure appreciate your presence. And uh, I'm very honored to be with this church congregation, some very dear friends of mine, John and Mary Kelly, who actually have grafted us into their family. Who, who here knows John or Mary Kelly? Raise your hand. They're pretty special people, and we've been adopted into their family, and it's been their hope and prayer for the last few years that I would have someday the opportunity to spend a Sunday morning with you. So thank you, Pastor Ryan, for uh, this gracious invitation. So I am excited and honored to tackle a very touchy subject. We'd be lying if we didn't say it was touchy, and already you've touched on two. So you have talked about same-sex marriage, and that's a touchy, difficult subject. And seems like it gets more and more touchy and difficult every day. And uh, talking about abortion, it's a miracle anyone's sitting in the pews this morning, Pastor Ryan. Um, 
But I feel excited to share with you a story of what God is doing through a ministry that he has named Thrive, which is addressing these touchy subjects in a way that we think is extremely empowering and uplifting and life-giving. So allow me to introduce you to Thrive Nation. Our tagline is Empowering Life and Healthy Choice. Uh, We have been in business here in St. Louis for about 33 years, and we're now expanding all over the country. We're We have licensed centers in Dallas. We are also in uh, South Dakota. We're moving into Orlando and Illinois, and uh, it's a very exciting time for us. Uh, On this next slide, you'll see a picture of me, but then you'll also see another picture. And that is a picture of my dear mother and I. Wasn't I just about as adorable as you could get? And my mom in that picture is 19 years old, and she actually, she'd be 20 actually in that picture, and um, she has a story that's near and dear to this issue, and that is that she was uh, 19 years old, she was in college on a full uh, national merit scholarship at the University of Wisconsin, and got involved in the civil rights movement, and really had a strong sense of conviction of social justice, and so um, who here in this room has been born around 94 or earlier. Raise your hand if you were born 94 or earlier. That's all of you guys. Raise your hands, please. 94 or, I'm sorry, later. Forgive me. Later. There you go. Okay, so you're what's called the Gen Zs. You are the cohort of people that have been born after 94. um, And you, by nature, have a strong heart for social justice. Uh, You have a passion for right and wrong. Um, You have a passion for the underserved. Uh, You want to make sure that people are treated well. That's part of what makes these conversations difficult because you really want to make sure that people are not being judged or or treated badly. And so my mom was part of a movement back in the 70s, that same kind of movement, a social justice movement, and she felt very called to civil rights. Um, She felt so called to civil rights that she actually ended up becoming pregnant by an African-American man, so she was really called to civil rights. Now, my mom was half German and half Irish and came from a very traditional conservative family, and you can pretty much imagine it blew the household up. And how many of you know that when someone is frightened, sometimes they can make poor choices or they can encourage others to make poor choices? Can you guys relate to that? So you can put a banner of mercy and grace over my grandparents when I tell you that they put direct pressure on her to have an abortion. And they quite frankly said, if you don't have an abortion, you can't come home. You're not going to be our daughter anymore. And we're not going to help you in any way. You must have this abortion. The child will ruin your life. And through a miracle of God, he worked in her heart and gave her the courage to choose life for me. So I'm standing here because my mom said yes, but also because God said yes to me. It mattered to him that I live. And the truth is that uh, every single life that's conceived matters to him very much. In fact, if you read Psalm 139, it will tell you that his eyes beheld our unformed substance before we were formed. That means he daydreamed about us. He daydreamed about us before he put us in the womb. He had this whole plan. And then it says that in his book, in his own personal book, so picture as personal as a diary, it says he has every single day outlined that he's ordained for us. And that's true for you, and that's true for every little person that's conceived. 
And so what I want to do for the next maybe 11 or 12 minutes, I want to push the politics off the table. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I don't care what your age group is. I want to even take the morality out of it because sometimes that word carries some stuff with it. I want to just talk about truth and grace. And the truth is that every child that's conceived, no matter the circumstances... So the fact that I was conceived in the situation that I was conceived in, and then three years later, my beautiful cousin Jennifer would be conceived by my Uncle Joyce and my aunt, uh, my un- Uncle Dennis and my Aunt Joyce, and they were married, and that baby was very wanted. My life wasn't less precious to God than Jennifer's life was. He wanted both of us. We were equally valuable. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't change the value of that life and the importance of that life, and that's why that life calls for defense. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about aligning with that truth because it's like gravity. That truth is not going to go away. And then how we can do that in a way that meets the needs of my Gen Zs because I'm passionate about young people. Young people rock. Just so you guys know, they're ten times smarter than we are, and they're capable of doing a million times more than we could ever do. God has raised up an amazing generation. And so this group program, Thrive, is a perfect fit for that. And I think everyone universally is, is attracted to it. So just real quickly, let's go ahead and take a look at a quote that we use to drive our services. Um, and it's a, it's a quote about innovation. And basically what it says is that Thrive is committed to making the old model obsolete. We want to bring forth a fresh new model of innovation that's going to be relevant to the culture, that attracts people across political lines and even religious lines. And it's something that everyone can say yes to because God's message is a yes message. On our next slide, what we see here is the power of ultrasound. Um, One of the reasons why you guys are called the pro-life generation is because you were raised on this. Your mom showed you your picture. Many of you actually saw the video of yourself in your mom's womb. So you knew you were a baby. No one can tell you you weren't a baby because you were raised that way. But ultrasound is a relatively new science, and it's amazing what it captures. So just quickly, this is an actual ultrasound image, and this is how it was captured. A young girl comes in for an ultrasound and she brings her mom in so really what you have in that ultrasound room is the grandchild the mom and the grandmom are you tracking with me grandma's in the womb mom mom's womb i'm sorry grandchild in the womb mom and then grandma that would really be a miracle And what happened was grandma kneels down to the womb and says, hi, honey, it's it's your grandma. Say hi to grandma. And the baby turns towards grandma and waves. That's an actual untouched image of a little tiny baby about 14 weeks old waving to grandma's voice. And one of the things that we've learned is oftentimes what will happen is the more abortion minded the mom is. So we get girls that come in, they already have their abortion appointment set. The more abortion-minded she is, the more that baby moves around. It's like God is animating that child. And we call that auditioning for their life. Next. Now, the good news is that about 90% of the women who see that image will actually choose life for their child. They didn't realize it was a baby. They thought it was a lump of cells. That's what they've been taught. They see that image. Um, And the good news is they choose life. But it doesn't mean that all the challenges go away. And so we'll talk about how we help them through those challenges. So some of the things that we really feature are... um, 
very strong health services, a non-judgmental environment. So the girls aren't going to come in feeling like they walked into a Christian environment. What they're going to experience is love, compassion, truth, grace. And then over time, as we get to know them, we will introduce the lover of their soul, Jesus Christ. But we're not going to lead with that. Uh, we also are very, very smart about our marketing and where we go. We're on college campuses and starting to approach that. We go into underserved communities, and in a second you'll see one of our uh, most successful strategies, which is pretty aggressive. And we really believe in technology. We know that the kids are attracted to technology, so we're a very, very smart organization in terms of how we use technology. On the next slide... Uh, that's an example of our newest addition to the Mobile Center family. His name is Jake. That stands for Journey Advancing Kingdom Evangelism, and that's because a church named The Journey helped fund that unit. And then the next picture that came up is another one of our units. His name is Kent, and he sits in front of Planned Parenthood six days a week. Why is he there? He is there as what the military would call the last line of defense. So as a young girl is arriving for her abortion, God is going to reach out to her one more time, and there are people on the sidewalk that explain to them that they can actually get free help and free services right there at the mobile center. Now, just to give you an idea, before Kent rolled up, those sidewalk counselors used to see about three or four babies rescued a year. So a lot of effort. They're out there day after day, winter, sun, snow. And they would see about four children saved. And that's amazing, because if it was these four right here, we would be happy, (laughs) right? But now what Kent rolled up, the very first day that Kent rolled up, they saved six children that day. And so now we're seeing between four and six children rescued a day. So that's innovation. And then in our next slide, and we'll move through these very quickly, um, really, how many of you know that Google, there's God and then there's Google, right? And then some of the young people switch that around so it's like Google and God because we'll actually challenge God's word based on what we read on Twitter. So it's very important for us to be well positioned. And so with our, it's called search engine optimization, very, very aggressive. And so what you see there is a typical Google search. If a girl puts in abortion in St. Louis, she's going to see our, the first ad up there is ours and the third ad is up there is ours. And you will see that most typically we have suppressed Planned Parenthood to the fifth and sixth, sometimes seventh position, and that's very, very important because the gal is likely to choose one of those first three choices. And then next, uh, again, just a quick picture of Jake. We'll go ahead and let's clip through those quickly. We can go ahead and pass that one as well. I want to make sure that we have time for the Q&A. That's a snapshot, interior snapshot of one of our units. Um, These are Mercedes-Benz Sprinters, state-of-the-art. They're built from the inside out. And every one of those units will save somewhere between 200 and 300 children a year. Uh, we actually had 1,500 rescues last year. 1,513 children were rescued through our joint efforts. Uh, that means 1,513 husbands and wives, best friends, 3,000 parents preserved from the heartbreak of abortion, 6,000 grandparents just in one year. Next. Thank you. We have three mobile units, um, that, and we're about to purchase our fourth, and so that officially calls us, states that we have the largest mobile unit fleet anywhere in the global setting. And then we've also given birth to 13 other mobile centers, other centers coming to us to learn how to do this work. Next. 
Um, our next campaign is to the college campuses. Go ahead and take a look there. These are the seven. You have kids at those schools, friends at that schools, people that are important to you there, and we're just going to ask that you join with us in prayer as we reach out to our college campus mission field. And we do that through next. Our medical missionaries, these are nurses, uh, radiologists, physicians, all strong believers in Christ. We recognize that the most important thing, the main thing, and I think I'm going to close on that, um, the main thing is Jesus Christ. So, again, with the Gen Zs, what are we saving the children to? You know, these young ladies can choose life, but if they um, aren't put on a path that's full of life and full of God's plan then that child is going to suffer and the mother is going to suffer too. And so what we do is we actually walk alongside them in a Good Samaritan model. We're with them for about 46 weeks um, throughout the pregnancy and beyond. They go through life coaching and education. The goal is twofold. We want them to enter into a, a vibrant, dynamic relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then we also want her to be self-sufficient. So she's going to be registered in education, vocational programs. The goal is that she's not reliant on any government funding whatsoever, but rather self-sufficient. We try to get the fathers involved as well. And so it's an adventure for her. It's reconnecting her. We talked in the beginning about how God has each day ordained for them. But we have to choose to live those days. Because the enemy is going to work full-time to drag us off of our path. And again, I just want to say to my young people, I know that these issues, I know, I know it's a struggle. I know that the same-sex issue, it breaks people's hearts because you have friends who have these issues. And I know you love them. I love them. But I just want to tell you the word that you said, Jesus ranks higher than us. He knows things that we don't know. He cares for us in ways that we could never understand. And I just want to challenge you. Start with trusting him. Start with a childlike attitude that says, Jesus, you rank higher than me. I don't understand why this is wrong, but I'm going to start with honoring you and honoring your word and trusting you and living from that. And I promise you, that he will teach us how to wrestle with these difficult issues in ways that are compassionate and are smart and are relevant and do hold up to the culture. And it's the same thing with these tiny little children. We may not always understand why it's better to choose life. Why is it better for a child to be born that has a handicap or seems to be in a hopeless situation? But I can say that Jesus ranks higher and he says that it's better And there is some mystery in that. But I know living a life without God and not honoring his word versus living a life with God and honoring his word, everything has changed in that choice of living for him. So I just want to encourage you, stay focused on the social justice. Be compassionate. Celebrate those who need us. Always be respectful as you champion truth. Champion it with grace. But just know that God loves And his choices are the very best choices. He wants us to have a rich life. So with that, I'm going to close. I'm going to invite Pastor Ryan back up to his own pulpit. Isn't that nice of me? (laughs) Well, thank you, Bridget. It has uh, been a joy to hear from you and to hear 
a little bit about the uh, about the Thrive Ministry here. It's uh, it's right here in our backyard, and it's it's something that uh, uh, that we can be involved in as well. I was I was telling Bridget in the first service, and I've I've not quite been here one year yet. But one thing that has impressed me about this congregation is that they they tend to be a people who get involved in things when they hear about it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're willing to jump in and be in, involved. And so I wanted to ask her a few more questions that would just help us as a congregation know. Um, and in fact, I've got four questions. The first one I want to ask is about the school program, because you, you alluded to that briefly. Tell us a little bit about what you all are doing in the schools. So again, and I know John said, make sure to get that number out there, John Kelly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we are in the high schools, public high schools and middle schools. Some of you may have already had us in your schools. Our program is called Best Choice, and it's actually, it's an incredible miracle. We are teaching children um, the choice of waiting until marriage to engage in adult activities, mm-hmm. and uh, we know what that means. So it's our abstinence until marriage program. It's called Best Choice. It's a celebrated program. The kids love us. The adults and uh, teachers, of course, love having us there, but I think what's most important is the kids ask us back, and so mm-hmm. we are usually with the kids from about sixth grade to about 10th grade, and we see 20,000 students a year in our abstinence program, and it's a science-based, evidence-based program, and that's what the young people love. They want science. They mm-hmm. want facts. They're rooted and grounded, and so um, we can make a beautiful argument for that choice and mm-hmm. um, how it's really the pathway to our highest good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm sure that's one aspect of the unique approach of Thrive, but tell us in general, what, what makes the approach of Thrive unique? Yeah, well, I think what's really gotten people so excited, and we've tripled in size in just the last three years, and we have people coming from all over the world to see what we're doing, is our, it's a mother-focused program. How many of you have been, have been on the airplane, and the stewardess goes into her routine, and she says, in the unlikely event of a decompression of the cabin, mothers do what? What do they tell the mothers to do? Put your mask on first and then your child's. Because if you don't, you're passed out and your kid's not going to do well either. And so we do the same thing. Put the mask on the mom first. Make sure that she's feeling affirmed and celebrated. She's on the right path. She's educated. She's empowered so that she can take care of the child. And that's been the pushback. You know, you people, you crazy Christians, you just want these women to have these babies, but you're not doing anything for them. And so we want to make sure that it's mother-focused. And we talked about being with them throughout that pregnancy and beyond and uh providing them with baby supplies and all of the practical things they'll need as well. Okay, excellent. Well, as a church, you know statistics about how many average church members are impacted by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the abortion issue in our country. What, what, what have you learned? What could you share yeah. with us about that? And that's that? another touchy question, but it's truth and grace. And so the truth is everybody in this room has been affected by abortion. Um, In a room of this size, a third of the group typically has made the personal choice for abortion, remained silent or assisted in an abortion, taking a friend for an abortion. So that's just data. Uh, But my heart knows that everyone's been affected. Um, We've lost children, spouses, best friends, the best teacher we'll ever have, defenders of our nation, all of these different roles that 1.3 million children a year 47 million children have been lost. And so when you think about that, we know for a fact. Um, In fact, my grandmother had an illegal abortion. And I know that I feel in my heart that it was a boy. And so I even think about Hmm. the uncle that I didn't have Hmm. and what role he might have played in our family. So we're all impacted whether we know it or not. Right, right. Okay. Well, 
tell us as a congregation, what are some practical ways we can be involved? I know you have such a broad variety of ministry opportunities, but tell us what are some needs that we could, we could assist with? Yeah, the good news is that so many of you have wanted to do something, but wanted to do it in a positive way right, or a non-political right. way. Right. And so you can plug in in a variety of different ways. Of course, you can support. In fact, today you're going to get a baby bottle and we're asking you to fill that with coins or checks for a million dollars. We'll take both. Okay, either yeah. one. All right. We'll definitely take both. Just make sure it'll clear. <laughs> and so that helps us get out there in front of Planned Parenthood and do some of these innovative things that we're doing. But really, no matter what gifts you have, whether they're clerical, if you uh, young people come down and help us with mailings, we're always stuffing envelopes. If you're the person that everyone goes to for advice or if you like to talk a lot, um, any gift, drivers, you had said highlight the men. We have a need for men to help us drive those mobile units. Right. So I would say that there isn't anything that you can do that doesn't plug somewhere into the ministry. And then covering us in prayer because there's a lot of spiritual warfare okay. against what we do as well. That's yeah. right. Well, you know, as a pastor of the church, I just, I just want to share that I, I feel a responsibility when it comes to this matter. Um, you know, I, I feel like this is one of the... the the darkest issues of our time and that it's not an issue for us to be silent about, but there is a real responsibility as the church of God to, as the church of Jesus Christ to, to be involved and to, to, to give and to pray. You know, I hope that you all will take one of the baby bottles and fill it with coins or fill it with checks, you know, and bring it back in a month or so. That'll be one way that we can contribute. And I know that some of those resources help with these, these mobile units yeah. and, and different strategies. But, but I just hope that the church family knows that from my heart and my perspective that, that this is something that I really want us to intensify our effort, our participation, that this is something that's, that's part of our local mission, local ministry. Amen. Um, I just feel a responsibility. Yeah, uh, and we thank that. you for that. And uh, again, this is a message and this is activity that's for people. It's not about being against anything. Yeah. It's about yeah. being for um, scared women. If you've ever looked in the eyes of a woman who's chosen abortion and lives with the haunting loss of that child, and it's happening in the room right now, you guys. There are people in the room right now who are suffering terribly because they've come to understand that they've lost their child. And so it's not about being against anything. It's about being for people who desperately need the support and the encouragement. That's right. That's right. Well, I want to thank you again for being out there, for being a, a part of a, of, a, of a difficult yet very important mm. ministry for uh, uh, for our country and, and even for our own community. And so I'd like for us to take a minute as, as a church family to pray for Bridget, to pray for the staff, to pray for the Thrive Ministry. And then, uh, and I'm also going to at this time ask the ushers if they would to, to make their way to the front to receive the offering for the Thank morning. you so much, Pastor Okay, Ryan. let's pray together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity that we have had today to have Bridget with us. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have gifted her, how you have called her into this very unique and special role uh, for the leadership position that you've given her in, in Thrive. And we, we just want to thank you for its 33-year history and all who have come even before her to lay the groundwork and for w- how you are bringing it now to, to a new level. And, uh, Father, we pray that as they are on college campuses or as they're in the school classrooms or even as they were the day I was present at the front of the door of Planned Parenthood, Lord, that you would go with them, that you would give them protection, that you would give them uh, all that is needed in terms of provision,
so that they can have the resources that they need. And Lord, I pray that as a church, our church and sister churches across the St. Louis Metro, that we can be actively participating, that we can sense the opportunity here to minister, to care, and to show compassion. So, Father, we thank you and we pray that you'll bless uh, the, the time today and, and even the, 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 uh, the giving of, uh, towards the baby bottles and, and all the, the different uh, activities that, that, may, that may result from, from the time here. We pray that you call workers into this field, that there'll be volunteers from our own church that you will call even today. Lord, we pray that you will minister to needs. I know that a, a subject like this brings a lot of thoughts in different people's minds. And so, Lord, may you just minister with your grace upon grace even now. That, Lord, you would come alongside. Father, we thank you that we can also give back to you this morning. And so that is also part of our worship today as we give back to you. And we pray that you will receive what is given today and use it and bless it for your work here in this church, in our city, but also around this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said.